Please open your Bibles, if you have them, to Exodus chapter 20, uh, verses 2 and 3. We're Exodus 22 and 3. We are in a series in Exodus, and we have come to the Ten Commandments. Let's, let's pray to God before we begin. Lord, as we open up your word right now and listen to words that you spoke from your presence on Mount Sinai, I pray not only that we would have ears to hear, but hearts to understand. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, one of my favorite all-time TV shows is Arrested Development. You guys ever watch that? Yeah, it's a good one. And uh, one of my very favorite episodes, so th- those of you who guys don't know, Arrested Development, it's about the Bluth family and uh, the, the sort of the patriarch of the family is this big real estate tycoon. He gets imprisoned in federal prison for like massive fraud, right? Everybody in the family is sort of scheming and underhanded. That's the... That's the character of the Bluths, except for Justin Bateman's character, Michael, and his son, uh, George Michael. <laughs> um, and the, one of my favorite episodes, um, the, you know, the usual hijinks are going on, but it all ends at a courthouse, and the Orange County Courthouse, where Michael was dating a lawyer who was faking that she was blind, and he was there to expose that she was doing this. And George Michael was there at the courthouse to expose that his cousin, maybe, was faking that she was disabled so that she could raise money for a fake foundation. And at the same time, his sister was like part of an activist group that was getting a statue of the Ten Commandments out front of the courthouse removed, right? And so everything goes haywire as bad as it possibly could, as it does on the rest of development. And uh, and George Michael and Michael are just bewildered after all this happens. And, you know, they're walking out front of the courthouse literally as the Ten Commandments statue is being lifted by a crane off of there. And, and George Michael is like, man, it's just, it's just so hard to know what the right thing to do is. And Michael's like, yeah, it's, it's not like there's some list of rules handed down from on high. Who really knows? <laughs> now, it's funny, but it's true. When we remove... From our understanding of the world, when we remove a creator God, what happens is an endless moral and ethical confusion. For example, the sign, be a good person. You guys seen this around town? There it is. There's actually a store. And while I am totally behind uh, what the, whoever runs this thing, I want people to be good. Me too. I could fully support that. Here's the problem. This attempt to take like ethical thinking and and how to live life and make it ultra simple, which is a good thing. All four words are totally debatable. (laughs) Not kidding. Our our resident philosopher, Caleb Gohol, will tell you to be, be a good person. Does that mean I am one? I'm just not acting like one. Or does it mean I need to become one? A. Am I a self-contained moral unit and I just kind of do things internally? Or does it really just matter how my actions affect a group? Well, those are, those are small potatoes. Now we get to the big one. Good. What does that mean? What do we mean by good? What's a good person? What is good? By the way, you guys are going to really have to use your brains right now. I'm sorry. Because, you know, you might say, well, it's nice. Be a nice person. Just go around and like lift people up and make them feel good. Okay, great. 
So let's say you're a Ukrainian and you get invaded. How should you treat the Russians invading? Just nice, make sure they have a good day, right? Tell them you're beautiful no matter what people say. Is that, is that what you do there? Is that good? Oh, okay, okay, okay. Maybe good's a, maybe nice is a little too shallow. Well, do no harm. Okay, are we clicking now? Yeah, just don't hurt anybody. Actually, there's a whole, whole ethical philosophical system built on that. Don't do harm. Do you realize that on that system, you can betray anybody you want to betray? You cheat on your spouse, you could lie, you could commit fraud, as long as they don't find out. Because what they don't know won't hurt them, right? If harm is what's good, right, like don't do harm, then as long as you're preventing people from being affected by the consequences, betrayal and dishonesty is not wrong in and of itself. It's not a very good definition of good, is it? We still together? We, we, you, you all with me? All right. I hope you're not getting too depressed. Okay. Well... Our favorite word, I think, is love. Okay, well, well be, to be a good person is to be a, a loving person. You show love to people. Didn't Jesus talk about love? Yes, he did. Here's the thing. What about if you are having to deal with someone who's abusing their spouse or their children? What does love look like then? It gets complicated, doesn't it? This, this ultra simple, be a good person. Oh, I forgot about person. <laughs> What's a person? Do you ever think about that? Because there is a whole academic world out there that says, you know, human rights are actually nonsense. That that's just speciesism. And that... Really, you know, being a person is all about your capacity, your capacity to understand that you exist, on which count an infant isn't a person, someone with dementia is not a person, someone who's severely mentally disabled is not a person, but a gorilla or a dog or a cow might be. I'm not kidding, guys. This is in the academy. I'm not making this up. You could look it up on the internets. And some people might say, okay, well, yeah, that's, that's true. There is no, like, universal good. It's all just personal truth. There is no universal absolute truth and one has to ask if that's true. Do you guys not get that? There is no absolute truth. Is that true? No? Anyway. <laughs> because even if we can, even if we can uh, determine for ourselves what's good, what gives us the right to say it's good for everybody, right? Like we might come to an agreement and you know, good American liberal Denver. How about we all agree this is good? But they have a very different idea of good in Saudi Arabia or 13th century Mongolia or Nigeria or, or wherever, right? So what gives you the right to say my good is the good? Boy, this is getting hopeless, isn't it? You, you see that the words of the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 1 have come to pass. He said, oh, this, I don't have this text up here, just listen. He says, although they knew God, they didn't honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened, claiming to be wise, they became fools. Now, this is not trying to insult anybody. It's saying that no matter how intelligent we are, once we remove a creator God from the picture, 
confusion and, and, and just absolute moral chaos is always going to be the result. What's God's solution to this? Does God leave us in this state? You know what God's solution to this confusion is? It's himself. The entire Ten Commandments. We've all heard of the Ten Commandments, right? They are a, a, a famous set of principles given from God. What's the first one? It's, we're going to look at it right now. It begins with God himself. Look with me at verse 2 of chapter 20. He says, I am the Lord, that is L, cap, all caps L-O-R-D, I'm Yahweh, that's the divine name of God there. I'm Yahweh, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. What does he say? He says, I am your God. That's like, it's, it's establishing a relationship, right? It's like saying I'm your, not me, but I'm your king or your tax attorney. There's a, there's a relationship being established here. To accept Yahweh as their God, they're accepting him as their authority, right? And when we begin with God as our God, the creator as our God, these questions of how do we define good, like what's a good person? It's really easy. What's the basis of human rights? Well, it's that we're made in God's image, right? Like we don't break a sweat answering these questions that are totally unanswerable without a creator God who has made us his. But what God is telling us here is that there is a God we can know, a God who made all things, who's made us his, that we don't live in a world that's completely chaotic, but we live in a world with a divine order, and he's giving us that divine order here. And the first part of that order, right, based in relationship, is verse 3. You shall have no other gods before me. Now, what does that mean? Literalistically, the Hebrew says, there will be no other gods before me. Right? It's even stronger than you shall have. It's like, there won't be. <laughs> okay. Now, what does this before me mean? Is it it's like talking about priorities? Like, I'm your number one God, but Baal can be number two or something like that? No, not what he's saying. Remember that what's happening here is that God and his people are going to start living together. God is, God's presence is going to be among this people of Israel. And he's saying, get the other gods out of here. There won't be any others, right? He's saying, I'm the only. Now, when we ask, all right, this, all, all of our ethical understanding, all of what we understand, how to be a good person begins with this relationship with God, that we are to have no other gods. Well, what does that mean? And is that all there is to it? Because you're like, hey, a commandment I can totally keep. I haven't bowed down into, to a bail in like seven months, you know? <laughs> Well, it's a little more than that. I, I want to credit my, uh, my friend and mentor, Bill Connors, for coming up with this way to understand the Ten Commandments, uh, of course, working from other scholars. But it's kind of like, like a dartboard. We're going to go back to this again and again. All right, so when you hear the Ten Commandments, do not commit murder, do not commit adultery, have no other gods, that, right, that don't, that's telling you where the wall is. When you play darts, I don't know, is anybody here good at darts? Good, just the people I want to talk to. We're all terrible at darts, right? So how do you feel when you're playing darts and you hit the wall? You say, I missed, right? Because that's on the wall, 
Then, if you hit the board, what do you do? You're like, yay, I hit the board. Right? I know that there's, there's people with misspent YouTube who are like, oh, I'll hit this one, this one, this one, this one. But, uh, and then, and then the, the, the bullseye to fulfill the commandment is, is love. Right? The Apostle Paul tells us in Romans 13 that the heart of the law of God is love. And so the, when we hear the, how the commandments are phrased, right, like committing murder is, you can't, like, that's, that's breaking it. You've gone way outside of bounds. Does that make sense? You guys all get that? So just because you don't murder somebody doesn't mean you're honoring the image of God in another person, right? Okay, that's making sense. So what does it mean to break this first commandment? Well, it's to, it's, it's to have another God. It's to believe in or have your life committed uh, to another God or, or not to God. Make sense? Also, it means to serve another God. Um, Jesus said, you, speaking to ancient Jews, he said, you cannot serve God and mammon. Now, what's interesting here is Jesus isn't talking about uh, actually worshiping at a statue. Mammon is an ancient wealth god, but he was talking to ancient Jews who did not go and worship mammon. They worshiped money. He's saying, yeah, you claim that God is your number one, that the one true God is your number one, but I see that your life is actually committed to greed. And so because of how they're spending their lives, they're actually serving another god. And lastly... To have, have no other God, it's not just believe only in one God and serve only one God, but it's to heed, right? Uh, Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3, he says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, right? It's to say, I'm going to heed someone else above God. Are we all tracking here? So breaking the first commandment, yeah, I mean, there's the, the blatant, I'm not committed to God, I'm committed to some other God. Uh, I serve, right, even though I, I pay lip service to being committed to God, my actual life isn't. And, and then, right, I, if we heed someone else. So, uh, example of this, former, uh, former security advisor, Michael Flynn, I don't know if you guys saw this story, he was, uh, he was speaking at a church event down in Texas. And I, I'm going to read you a quote uh, so you know I'm not making this up. He's speaking to a church. I just want to remind you of that. Church. This is happening at a church. He said, our Constitution, if you read our Constitution, and you should, in fact, you should put the Bible aside and read the Constitution during your sermons. Just read pieces of it. For some reason, he was not carried out on a rail. And that is a major. We're heeding something above the word of God. We're going to put the U.S. Constitution on the level with the word of God. That is a, that is a breach of the first commandment. That, that makes sense? Okay. So that's what it looks like to break it. In our own lives, it might be, hey, I pay lip service to being committed to like, hey, I, I'm, a, I'm a Christian, I follow Jesus. But when I look at my priorities in terms of how I spend all my time, I, outside of once in a while, doing a little Christian something, like it's not present in my life, okay? 
Um, or it might be that you're heeding something besides God. I'm not saying don't listen to anybody else, right? Like you want to listen to an economics podcast or something like that. I'm not saying like, oh, you listen to Planet Money instead of reading the Bible. How dare you? Breaking. It's not what I'm saying. It's saying that when God's word comes into conflict with your favorite social media influencer or public intellectual or what have you, that you say, well, you know, I'm going to listen to God's word over the word of this influencer, right? Now, I want to, some of you guys have very tender consciences, and that's a good thing. I want to remind us of something. The Ten Commandments are not ten things you do to make God love you. God loves you, period, because you're his child. The Ten Commandments are not ten things you do well enough for your audition to eternal life. Jesus Christ dying for us on the cross has bought us eternal life, period, and end of story. Instead, what the Ten Commandments are is God giving us guidance on how to live a life of love and flourishing, right? And so if we want to avoid the wall, um, and, and what does it mean to get on the board? What does it mean to keep the first commandment? Well, it's to remain committed to God. It's to remain committed. Uh, Psalm 73, one of my favorite psalms, it begins like this. It says, truly, God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. Now, one of the reasons I love this psalm is that the psalmist is sharing about a time in his life when he was doubting God. He was doubting the goodness of God, right? And we say, oh, well, that's clearly breaking the first commandment. No, he turned it into a worship song, right? This, this struggle he was having, this doubt he was going through, he remained committed while he was struggling. Right? That, that's keeping the first commandment. It's not always easy being a Christian. It's not always easy walking with God. We're going to encounter doubt. We're going to encounter struggle of one kind or another. And to keep the first commandment is even when we're going through that struggle, we remain committed. Making sense? Okay. It's also to remain committed to God when it costs. When it costs. Matthew 5, 11 through 12, Jesus says this. He says, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. When we look throughout the scriptures, there are times when following God has a cost, right? In the value proposition of like, what do I get versus what I have to give? Sometimes there's persecution. Sometimes there's prison. Sometimes there's reviling. Sometimes there's, I have to lay down this part of my lifestyle that I really love and I don't understand why. It's to remain committed when it costs us something when the value proposition isn't working out in our favor. A, a famous story from the Bible is the story of Job. Some of you guys may know it. For those of you who don't, Job, it's an Old Testament book that tells the story of well, Job. And, um, and Job, you know, he begins uh, the, the, the book as fabulously wealthy and successful, and he has a, he has a family and a wife and all this stuff, and, and he's very devout, right? He walks with God devoutly and and Satan says to God in there, 
hey, of course he loves you. Look how you blessed his life. Look at all the, the benefit on the value proposition. If you take away that, right, he's going to turn against you. And so Job loses everything. He loses his family. He loses his wealth. He even loses his health, right? Pustules and painful sores on his body. And his wife comes to him after all this has happened and says, Job, what are you doing? Curse God and die. And Job says back, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's what it looks like to keep the first commandment. Even when the value proposition goes against you, you remain committed. Remain committed during struggle and doubt and when it costs. Okay? You may be going through a time of great confusion. Spiritually, morally, direction in life or what have you. You may be going through a time of great pain where the losses are mounting in your life. And there is always, when we go through these things, there's a temptation there to say, man, is following Jesus worth it at this moment? Because it feels almost like a burden. I want to say, like, if commitment to God costs us nothing, we're not committed, right? I remember sitting next to a family member who had married another family. Not, they're not related, but <laughs> you know what? Let's see you guys do this. It's really hard. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Actually, some of you can do it a lot better than me. Um, but I, you know, I was talking to her. I was like, oh, she so got married. And like, well, that's cool. And, and she's like, yeah, you know. He really wanted to, and, and uh, you know, I guess I love him, so. I was like, wait, what? I was like, so, so, like, you mean you guess you love him, and you'll hang around a little while kind of thing? She's like, oh, yeah, I'm committed, I'm committed, until I don't want to be. She literally said that, and they're, they're divorced, but anyway, <laughs> like, that, it's like you don't really get what commitment is. It means you're in it. It means you're in it no matter what. You're in it when it stops being advantageous. You're in it regardless, right? And so to keep, to break the first commandment is to have another God, serve, to heed um, another God. And, and so to keep it is to remain committed even when that value proposition turns the other way. We have to ask, well, what's the bullseye? What does it mean to fulfill uh, the, the first commandment in love? One of the most famous uh, texts uh, in, in, the, in the Old Testament is Deuteronomy 6, 4, 4 through 5. It's called the Shema of Israel. It says, Hear, O Israel. Shema means hear. Hear, O Israel. Yahweh, your God, Yahweh is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Right? It's, it's wholehearted devotion to God. It's not just hanging in there. But it's, it's remaining, it, it, it's to love God as he deserves, basically, right? That to see the worth and value in God in and of himself and to love him, love him just for that with the whole heart. And you'll never do it. And I'll never do it because we're half-hearted creatures. As we are, there is no way we can fulfill this in love. Real love, like true love, 
draws you outside of yourself and you focus on the one that you love, right? I think we can sometimes get glimpses of this when I embarrass one of my kids, because that's what I do. I remember becoming a dad for the first time. It was, you know, like I was completely terrified because I didn't know what I was doing. Um, Sharon, who just rock-starred the whole labor, right? Like 37 hours, was it? Right? It was, it was a big build-up, is what I'm saying, and she did a lot. But then, those of you who have had a baby born, you, there is no other feeling like it when you meet your child, right? That baby comes out, and they're, like, covered in the goop, kind of purple, for white babies anyway, purple. <laughs> And they got this thing going, you know, with the hands. They can't control their hands and fingers. It's creepy. Um, you know, and her face was smashed and her head was misshapen from the birth canal. Am I painting you a picture here? And I'm holding this kid. I literally said this to myself. Because I didn't realize that it was just temporary, all this. Right? And she would grow up to be very pretty. So, I literally said to her, this is the first words I said, looks are in everything. <laughs> but I love you with my, all my heart because I was absolutely captivated by this little, like, eyes not open, this thing, right? This little wormy, goopy thing. And my heart was just possessed by it, right? By her. It's... It doesn't always last, right? It doesn't last your, like, I become selfish again real quick, you know? Like, 20 minutes later, I'm like, where can a guy get some onion rings around here, you know? <laughs> but, but for a moment, right? And that's all we get is moments, really. Like, when, when, when there's a pull of love that is really strong, you experience that. And that's because we're broken. Right? It's because we're half-hearted. It's because we're fractured. You and I are, are not capable of loving God as he deserves. We just can't. Okay? I will point out, this is the way that Jesus loved the Father and the way that Jesus loved us. Jesus is the only one we can look to and say, what does fulfilling this first commandment in real love look like? It, he did not consider himself but for love of God and love of us goes to a cross for you and for me, right? Now, it's important for us to have this vision, though. Because as I said, as I said, you and I in this lifetime, we are never going to love like that. We are incapable. I don't care how in love you are. It, it, it's not going to happen. You will never totally love in a way that you don't focus on yourself, but also, and here's a beautiful thing about the Ten Commandments. When we talk about this fulfilling in love, I'm going to say this every time. You can't. Jesus has, but you can't fulfill it. But you will. That God is working in us. That there is a day coming when God makes all things right. When this is the way that you'll love. When we'll love God and love each other as, 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 as God deserves. For us right now... This is not something to make us despair. Instead, it's something of an aspiration, right? Like, I don't know if any of you guys have ever done a, a marathon. I, I did one once. I was under no delusions that I was going to win. But there was, like, competitive people out there that are doing it in, like, 20 minutes. It's insane. 
but I didn't set out to lose either, right? We, we don't live our lives to not aim for that. Does that make sense? We don't set out in observance of, the, of the, the, the first commandment, our relationship with God, to fail, do we? We will fail. God's mercy covers that in Christ. But fail we will, but we don't, we don't set out for failure. There is a God who make, has made himself known and who has made us his. If we want to have any idea how to live our lives, To be able to answer that question, how can I live a life I don't regret? How can I be a good person? What does it mean to walk in love? We've got to look to what God says. And that begins with this God who has made us his. We're to have no other gods, remain committed, and love God as he deserves. There's a little town outside of Florence, Italy. And there's a statue there. I want to show you. Here we go. It's a statue to a dog. A dog named Fido. (laughs) The story behind this is that in 1941, a uh, a laborer, a factory laborer named Carlo uh, Carlo Soriana, Soriani, Soriani, I think. He was getting off the bus after after his day of work, and he was walking home. Right, the bus comes to the town square. He got off. He was heading home, and he was going by a ravine when he heard a whimper and he stopped and he went to investigate and down in this ravine was a puppy who was injured. And so Carlo, he, he took the dog home and he nursed him back to health and he named him Fido. Fido, right after being made Carlo's dog, started following him everywhere. And something that started happening every day is as soon as he was well enough to walk, he would follow Carlo to the, to the bus stop. And he would see him, see him off on the bus, and then he would just wait around the square all day until Carlo got back at 4 p.m., and then the dog would, like, lose his everything and then greet his master and go, go home with him, right? And this happened literally every day for two years. And then... This was, of course, during the Second World War. The factory was hit by a bomb. And Carla was killed. And that day, Fido came to wait for the bus. And at 4 p.m., the bus pulls up. And Carlo doesn't get off. And so he just waited. And then he, he eventually went home. The next day, he came back at 4 p.m. again. And he waited and then went home, and he did that, waiting for Carlo every single day for 5,000 days for the rest of his life. He was that committed. Carlo made him his, and he loved him as he deserved. Now, am I somehow demeaning us by comparing us to a dog? I actually think it's unfair to the dog. (laughs) Here's the thing. You have to look to a dog for how this is supposed to look, because we, we just don't have it in us. My love for God blows hot and cold. It's strong one day, it's weak another, it's here and there, I go through doubt, I go through struggle and all that, right? God loves us and has made us his. We need to love God as he deserves. Please pray with me. God, I pray that we could begin to walk in greater love that we could 
get off the wall, that we could begin to keep this commandment, that we could have glimpses of being, being so wrapped up in who you are and in your presence that we begin to heal from it. I pray, God, that you would lead us out of the moral difficulties, of the confusion, of, of, of the chaos uh, that, that, are, that, are, that we find ourselves in. And instead, you would give us clarity and you would give us direction in how to live our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.